Welcome to the In Common Podcast. This is Stefan Partolo. If you enjoy the podcast, please feel free to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast player. In the world of Apple algorithms, it helps people find our podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at InCommonPod. Today's conversation is with Emily Boyd. Emily is the director of the Lund University Center for Sustainability Studies in Sweden and a professor in sustainability science. She is a leading social scientist with a background in international development, environment, and climate change, with a focus on the interdisciplinary nexus of poverty, livelihoods, and resilience in relation to global environmental change. Emily is currently leading work on undesirable resilience, politics of loss and damage, and intersectionality in societal transitions, including on transformations under climate change. Emily is also an author for the IPCC, the IPBES, the UK CCRA, and is an Earth System Governance Senior Fellow. So I did this interview with Emily in January of 2020 before the COVID-19 was in full swing. So this interview is actually in person. This is the In Common Podcast. It's a pleasure. Welcome, Emily. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here today. Let's start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? Where did you do your studies? So I was actually born in the States. We moved around quite a bit and I ended up in the UK for my undergraduate studies at the University of East Anglia, which was a real hub um, in those nineties for environmental sciences and development studies. Some of the sort of leading scholars were there at the time that was very exciting, like Mike Hume, Neil Adger, Kate Brown, you know, these guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's where it all started. I did my undergraduate degree there in the International Development Studies department at the time when you're studying was there this notion of a, of a sustainability science or was it still much of like a disciplinary oriented focus uh well uh, it was very interdisciplinary at uea already then and you had also people like timo Reardon really spearheading the area of sustainability science uh, and it was very experimental in a way those of us coming through there were kind of guinea pigs in a way, with both with our undergraduate degrees, but also our PhDs, uh, which were very interdisciplinary. Um, and also, I mean, it was a great environment to be doing that in because yeah. it was very supportive to do that kind of science. Cool. And then did you come straight to Sweden in the UK or were there stops in between? Well, yeah, yeah, there were a few stops in between. So we came to Sweden to do a postdoc at Stockholm Resilience Center. Okay, what year was that? Um, that was around 2005. So that was pretty early on for Yeah, Resilience that was Center. just when it started. So I was part of the uh, creation of the Resilience Center together with, there were a lot of early career people there who were involved. It was very innovative and Carl Falke uh, spearheaded that with a lot of um, sort of belief and value in young researchers being part of, of creating that. Cool. Uh, and then I went to the UK. I went to Oxford for three years as a fellow, um, part of Diana Liverman's group. Uh, she's now at Arizona State University, back there. Um, and then after that, I went to Leeds University uh, for my first permanent job. And then I had a baby. And then quite quickly, I got a position at Reading University and I got promoted to Reader at Reading University. What is Reader in terms of more of like the international? Is this like it's a, like a senior, senior associate okay. professor? Associate professor in the UK yeah. system? Yeah. 
And then uh, it was a great place because my husband also got a position. He's also an academic. We have the two-body problem. And then I got promoted to professor in 2013. And then I um, got asked by Lund University by the vice chancellor and the former director of Luxus if I was interested to take this position. Mm -hmm. And it was a really difficult one to turn down. So I came ahead in 2016 and then my husband came after with our, well, my daughter came also. She's uh, nine now. But so he was commuting. Finally, now he's also secured with a research project. So now you're all settled in Lund. Yes, so now we're set, settled in Lund. Well, for those who are not familiar with, with Luxus, and what, what is the general overview of, of what the Sustainability Center here focuses on and how it's organized with the university? Yeah, so uh, Luxus is the Lund University Center for Sustainability Studies. Um, we think of ourselves as a world-class sustainability center that focuses on research, teaching, and impact. And we are working very much with trying to understand, explain, catalyze social change and transformations uh, in relation to material limits in the biosphere. And it was established as an independent center at Lund University in 2005. And since 2019, uh, January 2019, we've become part of the social science faculty. Yeah, it wasn't originally part of the faculty. What was, was that a strategic uh, reason to join the faculty? I'm kind of thinking in the way of, you know, where do sustainability science centers around the world, which are increasingly more of them popping up, you know, where do they fit in the kind of classic disciplinary orientation of the science system? I mean, most of the universities are oriented around discipline. Very good question. So when it comes to Lund University, the leadership here in the management decided that uh, they wanted to integrate centers that have been created and a sort of uh, independent faculty-free plat platform back into the disciplines. Mm -hmm. So the leadership currently here at Lund University believes that the centers and this interdisciplinary work should be integrated into formal faculties. So it's kind of coming from a management perspective. Okay. There wasn't really much choice in terms of the centers as to whether we were would be allowed to remain or not as, as independent centers. Having said that, uh, we went through a two-year process, uh, which I led on transitioning into the faculty, and that process was really great and useful and productive for Luxus mm -hmm. uh, in terms of defining who we are and where we're going and what we're doing and also finding our place within the social science faculty. We had the choice of going to any faculty and we explored all those choices. Was it natural science we do? You know, uh, is it engineering? You know, <laughs> um, do we contribute to social sciences? And majority of people felt that our home is naturally within the social sciences, even though within Luxus we have all sorts of sciences. What are some of the more specific details of the projects or kind of the people and professors who work here at, at the Sustainability Center? What is that from a more disciplinary orient background? Do most people have a, a social science background? Is it more, you know, quantitative versus qualitative? And then I would then follow up, how does that influence the, the teaching uh, and the master's program, for example, in the PhD school, which is here? Yeah, so we have, we have a whole suite of disciplinary backgrounds, ranging from geography, uh, political science, physical geography, climate change, economics. So it's very broad. Mm -hmm. uh, we have people who do both quantitative, data-driven kind of science and more qualitative, even sort of humanities work. So it's very, very broad. Uh, I think that we, you know, as a result of that, we do quite broad-based research. And you see from the publications and the outputs and the projects we're working on, uh, we cover a lot of different areas relating to climate change and resilience, land use governance and development, 
urban governance transformations and more recently energy justice and sustainability of energy systems as well as we do water and we've relaunched our biodiversity thing and cutting across these sort of themes we focus on governance social justice economics and so on so there's real cross-cutting yeah. that allows us to to work across disciplines and within disciplines right. uh, and that feeds into our program our master's program so we have our core subjects and then we have our selectives which is our kind of research driven teaching mm-hmm. um, and there that ranges from courses on political ecology courses on resilience with sustainable development courses on gender uh, we have courses on energy, water, and and we also have courses on uh, popular culture now and um, innovatively on inner and outer transformations. So we try and bring our research into our teaching. Is that the same for the PhD school? What types of programs do they have for the, the PhD students rather who are coming through the program? What types of topics do they focus on? Yeah, so all of our PhD students are required to study sustainability science in some form. Mm-hmm. But then they also go off around the university and collect courses that they find particularly interesting yeah. for them. So we're very open to that as well. So they might want to study a bit of sociology or a bit of law or whatever it may be okay. to complement what they're doing. Um, there's also now at Lund University the Agenda 2030 Graduate School, okay. which is for PhD students. Uh, and that, I think they have some 15 or 16 PhD students now. And we try to connect with them as much as possible. Well, one, one of the things I, when I think about sustainability science, I, I also did the master's program here a few years back, as you know, is, you know, what exactly is sustainability science? What type of science is sustainability science? Going back to some of the, the literature and clearly just from the profile of, of the different folks who, who work here, it's clearly interdisciplinary. It's, it's a mix of different, of different disciplinary backgrounds. What do you think from your perspective, or maybe from the perspective of Luxus, what is sustainability science? Yeah, so, so I think at Luxus, we have a sort of unique way of addressing sustainability issues. And we talk about it, uh, we address it from a critical and an integrated kind of natural social science perspective. And I would even say we're going beyond just the natural social science to other sciences as well now, mm-hmm. uh, and interacting also with engineering, but also interacting with humanities. You know, uh, it's a broader suite mm-hmm. of disciplines that we're interacting with to tackle complex sustainability uh, challenges, but also with a solutions-based approach. So we try and bring this interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary working with stakeholders or actors. Is there inherent like normative orientation to the research question? So you have sort of a problem, problem-driven, solution-oriented type of agenda. Is that the right way to think about it? Yeah, I do think so, yeah. So we would say that we have a normative base to what we do. But we couple that also with obviously um, theoretical and also empirical research mm-hmm. and test ideas and... Um, use different approaches to be exploring things mm-hmm. methodologically in methods, different methods, but also testing our ideas. Yeah, to me, it, it seems that, you know, a lot of this, it's an evolving science from my perspective, or I would see it, a lot of the work is, is in the innovation in the methodologies, particularly process-oriented methodologies, engaging with communities, for example, and, and rethinking some of like the disciplinary foundations of how, how we go about research. Does that fit in the, into the categories? Yeah, as? I would definitely say that. I mean, that's a sort of fundamental component of sustainability science. Uh, oh, is to right. try and really understand 
how science is constructed and how these different disciplines come together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it could be very broad as well. You know, all of these different thematics and ways that we're uh, engaging with sustainability per se, we can consider sustainability science. When you think about like agenda setting or thinking about kind of a vision for for the university or not the university, but the, the sustainability center here. Um, how much is that influenced by kind of external trends, for example, some of the, the sustainable development goals, for example, and kind of guiding the agenda and what we should focus on? Do you do you kind of see the institute following the these trends? Is it rather, you know, taking it a fresh approach, trying to come up with your own ideas, being more critical? Well, I think in a way, the I think this is a good question. So I think also they're a strawman question in a way as well, because the way that we produce our science and do our science is not in isolation from these agendas. Mm-hmm. So of course we're influenced by the STG agenda and the kinds of questions um, around how the SDGs interact, for example, or the trade-offs between different SDGs, you know, like climate and economy, for example. All of that becomes part of what we do, but it means also that we can step back as a university institute and we can ask critical questions about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's it's like an interaction. Uh, I don't think you I don't think you can be critical and fresh and stepping back without also being part of the wider arena. It's an interplay between finding your own agenda and making yourself st- stand out in, in the sustainability space, which there's increasingly amount of people in. Yeah, I mean, you can also add to that. I mean, we can be very independent and critical with our questions. I mean, I think science in general is about being critical. It is about testing, it's about using established methodologies, it's about um, investigating theories through empirical work and revisiting theories and all of that mm-hmm. uh, is part of science and the critical essence um, is what science is about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think then the focus that we have in the problem solving brings us to, um, like you said, the normative side of things but also um, we recognize that there are inequalities in the world and we recognize that um, there are many different perspectives that have to be considered. And I, I think that's where the sustainability science can lend. It makes me think if there's some sort of prioritization processes which go on in terms of what types of topics uh, should be focused on. You have something like the sustainable development goals where you have a great amount of work going into to identifying these challenges, but there's not really a prioritization process there. How would you go about thinking about that at, at, at Luxus here? Certain challenges would you think are, are should be more focused on or maybe because they haven't been given enough attention, maybe because they're actually more important or some mix of both of them? Yeah, I mean, I think there much of uh, the work that we do now, it builds on a, a sort of a past of the kind of work that has been done in this arena of sustainability science. A lot of focus on land use, mm-hmm. land use change, uh, sort of has been at the core of what Luxus has been all along. And over time, other arenas have entered this both in terms of individual interests of our teachers and our researchers, but also um, because the world is changing, right? So climate change is clearly right at the top of the agenda. We cannot be looking at climate change. Um, We get a lot of funding to look at particular topics. You know, so there is, uh, as long as universities, like Lund universities, are wedded to bringing in research funding in the ways we were expected to, uh, we will be driven to some extent by the agendas of those, um, the donors or the 
the funders and so on. Yeah, of course. So it's like it's like getting all these different dimensions aligned um, and remaining uh, critical within that. I want to get into a little bit about some of the challenges of, of directing at such an institute compared to maybe a, a faculty or working group where everyone kind of has the same background or kind of normative orientation or methodological orientation, for example. And what if what if some of those those processes look like at Luxus? I think Luxus uh, is. Um, very good at engaging with <clears throat> the kinds of conversations that you need in an interdisciplinary center around what are what are the goals that we have, what are the visions that we share. Um, so that's a really positive. I think that the the challenges come with more to do with structures, the precariousness of being researchers in institutions where you have to bring in external funding. That's a challenge for early career people, I think. So bringing in really enthusiastic, really motivated, um, really engaged people is a really important element to an interdisciplinary center. Yeah. Uh, creating the support structures as much as you can within that is really important. Like mentorship programs, postdoc programs, ways in which people can feel some kind of safety net within it, and also really linking people to other people around the university, facilitating those interactions uh, so that you're not just sitting within a center, but you're actually embedded within a university, that you feel you're part of the university as well. Mm. Um, part of my job also as director is making sure that the university is really walking the talk when it comes to interdisciplinarity to remind them that you need to invest in this kind of research. It's very important. Um, we see universities all across the world, as you mentioned earlier, really investing in sustainability science now. So it's really important for the leaderships of the university to be aware of that and to be thinking innovatively and looking inwards to the people that are there and the knowledge that they have and the capacity that they have. I think Lund University has fantastic researchers it's one of the top sort of um, uh, universities in Sweden for bringing in external research funding uh, it's got at least three institutions working on sustainability you know uh, it's got a legacy of that and uh, a lot of opportunity it's kind of honing in and really prioritizing that from a leadership yeah I was, I was I was wondering what some of the challenges might be for some of the students who come through which it's because it's not typically a traditional path for, for say, you know, you're not going to go through a, a faculty which has maybe an established program over time and, and supervisors who have really been in that discipline for a long time. Um, has it been your experience at all with, with some of the students? Are they, is it always a natural fit into sustainability science and finding their, their place there and also, you know, future opportunities, what, what these students are trained for? After, after they move on? Yeah, um, I think that um, coming myself, gone through an interdisciplinary training from the start, of course there are challenges. I mean, if you're up against convention and a long, long history of discipline, of course it's going to be a challenge. But I think at the same time, the skills that you come out with, the capacity to connect, the ability to um, be a lateral thinker. I mean, that is priceless these days when actually we're seeing these sustainability challenges playing out the way they're playing out, how they're intersecting with social issues, how societies are becoming aware 
how social movements are emerging, how, you know, so much is going on. Having that kind of training, you can tap into so many different things and contribute, whether it's within academia, you know, doing PhDs or postdocs, you know, working across teams of people, of social and natural scientists, being able to work in a municipality, to be able to work in government, to be able to connect across departments, um, to be able to work with economists or natural scientists or whatever it may be, to be able to work with farmers, to be able to work with financiers, all of that you should be getting with the sustainability science training. So you're getting both the conceptual, the knowledge, you're also getting how do you measure things, why do why does measurement matter, the scientific method, and also leading. How do you take action? How does that process look? I mean, it seems like a lot of the, the research that, I would, that goes on here is what I would call transdisciplinarity. So it's trying to integrate you know, non-academics uh, in the broadest sense uh, into the process of research design, perhaps data collection and, and conceptualization of the products, and even you know, foreseeing how that data gets analyzed and then perhaps implemented later on in the case studies. How much of that, like of that transdisciplinary aspect, is like at the core of, of the ambitions for the researcher? I think it's quite fundamental. I mean, I think there's a, there's a spectrum of research that goes on in, in Luxus, and I would hope in any sustainability institute from, let's say, you can cut across from interdisciplinary to transdisciplinary, from applied to theoretical, qualitative to quantitative, you know, the spectrum should allow for incorporating sort of plural, as we use the word, perspectives on that. Because uh, you never know when the new big new ideas are going to come from and how they're going to be generated. So yeah. allowing for this difference uh, is really important. Uh, I think in terms of bringing in stakeholders and bringing in policy, uh, it's really important to many people in Luxus. I think many people do it. I think we could do some of it better. Uh, but I think whether it's working with farmers, small-scale farmers in Africa, through to uh, the UNFCCC, we try to engage uh, with these different actors. Um, and we're learning as well through the process of that, how to do this, how to do this better. Scientists are not in a bubble in an ivory tower anymore, generally. You know, there's, there's expectations uh, from society, I would say especially in the area of sustainability science. You know, there's an expectation that we can address. No, I really like this this notion of plurality and trying to, for example, multiple ways of knowing and incorporating different types of knowledge systems, different disciplines and methods, of course. I think there's a lot to be gained there, but I think there's also, you know, this extra added challenge that sustainability scientists would have in terms of staying grounded and, and perhaps communicating exactly what they're doing to others who are maybe not familiar with more plural approaches or mixed mixed methods approaches or interdisciplinary approaches. Where do you see some of those challenges in engaging with more perhaps yeah, disciplinary oriented researchers or those folks who are not maybe in sustainability oriented centers and also just communicating the science that you do as, as actually valid and important? Yeah, I mean, I think all of that is really important. I think one of the things you said there is communicating outside of a bubble. That's really essential. And many of us do work with folks in disciplines. I work with climate scientists, physicists. I work with um, ecologists. And many of us have worked across disciplines. Um, you know, we work outside with municipalities. The work of Christine Ramsler, for example, mm -hmm. Kimberly Nicholas, Barry Ness, Chad Boda, Lena Olson, and so on, you know, 
all working with people and trying to kind of engage with this kind of experimentation and learning with different actors. It's a really tough process. It's also, as you said, um, connecting across disciplines isn't, isn't an easy thing to do, but it's, it is common. Mm-hmm. I think I've, every project I've been part of almost has been some, there's been some interdisciplinary element to it. And yeah, sure, you argue and you don't agree and you have different ways of looking at the world. Uh, and some win out sometimes and others. You, you probably know that working with marine science and social ecological systems. You know, but it's it's a dialogue and negotiation and, and a collaboration. And you come out with some really good things and some stuff that's not great. I think communicating with the general public, which was your other point there, uh, I think we all need to do better. All scientists need to do that much, much better. Um, to be able to not just tell people what we do, tell people the answers, but to work with, um, to explain better. And then maybe you need to break it down. And I think this is what we're also trying to do here at Luxus is, yeah, we have sustainability as our banner, but then you break it down and you might be working on a project which uh, is the effects of climate change on... Um, some of the most disproportionate communities, what are those impacts, what are the adaptation options, you know, breaking it down into manageable, understandable parts. One of the things you mentioned there, which I wanted to follow up on, was how sustainability science is, is again, deviating from maybe a more traditionally disciplinary uh, scientific career. It, it makes me think that you have to think a little bit about the career incentives to motivate the type of research that you want to get done in terms of publishing, in terms of grant money that comes in, and what are the type of activities? How do you measure more more qualitative efforts in an academic career, like science communication, for example, like engaging with community, maybe taking long, longer projects, taking your results back to the field? Do you have those types of discussions at the Institute about how do you, you take a, a bigger, broader perspective on incentives and the incentive structures for an academic career? Yeah, I mean, it comes up a lot, uh, particularly for early career. Um, I think the more senior people are a bit more secure in some ways. Um, although, having said that, in Sweden, you still expected to bring in grant funding through your whole career. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that uh, it's something that um, we talk about more and more when we talk about re- impact and research impacts. What, what is that? And how do you support people to take time to do that, whether it's within their research projects or whether it's the institution and the institutional support for doing that additional work. But I think sort of as part of our vision to create lasting and impactful research does require um, a thinking about um, you know where you're going to end up with your research, where you're contributing your research to, who's benefiting and how, those kinds of questions. And then that naturally leads you to think about how your individual research as part of a wider institution is making a contribution. So you see, so then you can start to think a bit more structured and a bit more focused and uh, in ways that over time 
your research will build towards something. And we try to create that kind of environment here at Luxus. And I think it's happening more broadly across universities. Mm. You know, if you take a more positive view of impact, I mean, you can be quite skeptical about it and critical of it. But if you think about it in a sense of creating narratives and stories and um, effect over the long term, there is some kind of sense to it. Mm-hmm. We're not just doing sort of random bits of work here and there that doesn't um, isn't anchored necessarily yeah. with those individuals and the communities that they're working in. Is that difficult uh, discussing with the university? You know how the, the the center here is going to take a slightly different approach, perhaps to or like broadening the the incentives or the type of research that would be traditionally done. I mean, have you run up in, against any barriers there? Um, or is those, are those more like internal discussions about how we should reward and value the research internally amongst the staff? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you come up against barriers like um, if we try to teach a course with another department that charges a different price for their students. Of course. Those are sort of the practical barriers that we still face mm-hmm. in terms of people having the creativity or innovation uh, to work across disciplines or with other people or impactful ways. And we're, um, we're very open to that at Luxus. Mm-hmm. So we try and create a supportive environment for that, for fostering research. And it's a bit risky as well. Yeah. You know, you have to take a risk. Well, one of the, it gets into a little bit of this idea of, of reflexivity on the role of, of the research center itself in being complicit in some of the sustainability issues that are happening around the world, like global warming, climate change, for example, and the, the emissions that come from traveling. I'm interested to hear at some of the, I know it looks as you've had a lot of discussions about the types of public travel policies, for example, but I also wonder, has there been discussions about, you know, hiring practices? And we, we talked about the career incentives, trying to push forward things like open access publications or making funds available. You know, what are some of those things which have been discussed uh, at the Institute to try to try to be reflective about the the impact of the the science that's being produced the science system itself yeah i mean we have uh we have sort of mechanisms for doing that supporting open access university also supports open access and our faculty does i think that we have broader discussions when it comes to ideas around decolonizing science creating different science yeah that's very much a luxus kind of debate um, how to make science more inclusive. Yeah, I mean, there's huge challenges with that. Um, recruiting, huge challenges. I mean, I wish we could just recruit people and also people from all, all over the place, but um, it's fairly tough to do that here. Um, I think that universities are some of the sort of more conventional places for doing sustainability work. We've been quite advanced in setting out this travel policy. It's been really driven by our early career researchers, people like Wim Carton, for example, Kimberly Nicholas, um, have really pushed the bar on it and, and really encouraged colleagues and staff to think about this in their everyday, particularly in their travel for research. We've had a lot of discussion about how do we balance the international sustainability and development work that we do with flying, mm-hmm. academic flying. So we're, through those conversations and discussions, we're 
thinking about how we can make the most of the trips we make, how we can reduce our flights yeah. within Europe, for example. Yeah. It's not a it's not a straightforward thing at all. Right. It's more of like a deliberative process going through what makes sense. Yeah, that. and and it's debated. You know, some people feel like it's a structural issue and dealing with climate change, we need to deal with structures, and other people feel like it's an individual responsibility and individual right. change right. is going to lead to transformations. So we have those discussions internally. I want to get into a little bit more of uh, some of the research that you're actually working on yourself. Yeah, maybe you can give just an overview of some of the projects that you have going and what, what's interesting for you at the moment. Yeah, so we have uh, lots of exciting projects. I can mention a few of the ones that I'm involved in and leading on. Uh, we have a project called DICE, which is on the disproportionate impacts of climate extremes which is mapping out how we discuss this new concept of loss and damage mm -hmm. under climate change, how we um, measure it, and also how we govern for and with loss and damage. So, for example, we're not working on it directly, but the case example of Australia at the moment and the forest fires would be an example of where we might look at, um, are those forest fires linked to climate change? So there we work with colleagues at Oxford University, people like Freddie Otto and Richard Jones and Rachel James on that. And then we look at you know, the political side of it and then the impacts and consequences in terms of the losses, which are maybe permanent, mm -hmm. uh, and the damages that are made, not just economic, but you would also look at the sort of social, cultural, for example, what does it mean to lose um, a livelihood because you used to live in the the bush in Australia and now you can't live there anymore? What does it mean for all the animals and the species that have been affected by these fires now? You know, those kinds of questions. What does a project like that look like methodologically? What type of data would you go out and collect? Would that be a quantitative, quantitative data? And how would you think about an analysis in a project like that? Yeah, so it covers both qualitative and quantitative theory and empiricism. So, for example, we would be looking at quantitatively mapping where people live and creating maps of where losses and damages are incurred. Uh, we would be qualitatively talking to people who are affected, interviewing people, uh, doing focus groups and observations. We might be reviewing you know, the literature and doing that kind of stuff as well. Um, and then hopefully also engaging with stakeholders and policymakers to take this understanding uh, into the realm of policy at the UN level, the UNFCCC, for example. Cool. Yeah, and national, national governments also need to be thinking about loss and damage. Mm -hmm. um, that's just one of the projects. We have a whole, a whole suite here. Um, I recommend people to look at the Luxus website. What are, what, do you have any other projects that you're working on personally? Another project that you would want to highlight? Uh, yeah, so I can highlight, we have a project called... Um, Games, which is about linking attribution models to social mobilization and the kind of governance challenges that come with that. We also have um, projects on many projects on adaptation. We've got a new project which is about why people resist adaptation interventions. Um, we have projects, uh, really interesting projects, like one which is about the emotional attachment people have to land 
and why that matters. The project's called Love, and uh, with uh, Anjanik and uh, Karin Stian. Um, we have some new recent projects. Kimberly Nicholas has a project with the local commune in Lund, where she's going to be helping them to become net zero or carbon neutral. Oh. Yeah. And uh, Wim Carton has a project on negative emissions, which is looking critically at the kind of solutions that come with forests or geoengineering for yeah, reducing emissions to net zero. Where's the, where are the main funding sources coming from, from Luxus? So we have each um, 2020 EU funding. We have Formas, which is Swedish funding, and VR, Wetenskapsrådet. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have uh, so, so many other smaller types of projects. We have um, money from the JEF, Global Environment Facility, CEDA. Um, we also, apart from our research projects, we have projects that are more capacity building focused. We have a project called Sustain that Sarah Gabrielson is working on, which is on sanitation and water in urban contexts. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have a project Lena Olson is funded by VR, looking at perennials, and is there a future for perennials? I'm sure you've heard about his research. Yeah. Yeah, so there's many, many, too many to mention right here, but a lot of really good research going on. Yeah, one thing I'm interested in is, is this, this concept of path dependencies, as again, getting back a little bit more to kind of science and technology studies, like looking at science system itself and what are some of the, the barriers to progress and, and how the like past structures which we've had in the last decades have brought us forward into the, the current topics, not only how we do science, but why we do science. And that's a, that's a huge diversity of different projects that you have there. And are a lot of the, the case studies and a lot of the cooperations that Luxus has internationally with different institutes, you know, how are those, how are those formed when you think about, are, are things like path dependency discussed about how, how do we form new networks? And if, we're, if you're thinking critically about, you said, for example, decolonizing the science system, a lot of those things are that kind of legacies which have, which have come through the past and... You know, there's a lot of cost to, to building new networks and there's a lot of cost to, to doing new case studies instead of going back to the same ones. And I wonder if those types of discussions are, are happening in those projects. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's very much part of our discussions here to what extent and goes back to what I was saying earlier about impact and creating impact over time by creating the connections and relationships in places um, and building on those over time. And to have a consciousness about that, for sure. And I think many of the projects that we come into, uh, we're either building on networks that we have or have had or cases that we've built on in the past. And we think quite carefully about those. But also you, you do need to have a track record in working in places to be able to get the funding mostly as well. And new, new networks and new projects, I think sometimes can be a really good thing because you meet, uh, again, going back to this earlier question you had about connecting to other disciplines and connecting outside of our bubble. Um, sometimes opportunities come along with new projects and you meet a new community of people and you have to reflect on your science and communicate your science in new ways. So I think that's really exciting. And I think also sometimes you don't always have to go into a project doing a case study, but maybe you come in contributing with tools on how to do transdisciplinary work or 
tools on how to work with stakeholders. So you bring that element of Luxus into it as well. Uh, and certainly in those projects, we bring a lot of questions and a lot of challenging discussions to our peers. So that's also fun and interesting. Yeah, the two things before I think we wrap up is one is I'm, I'm interested in what you, you know, looking forward uh, to some of the projects that you like to do either personally or together with the Institute. You know, what do those projects look like? You know, what would be like an ideal Luxus project if you could get funding for it? And then perhaps after that, you know, where do you see kind of sustainability science in general kind of moving forward? Yeah, okay. So for Luxus, um, I think that we have some interest in advancing some of the, um, the sort of politics and uh, the, the new areas of linking into humanities, linking into um, things around AI, for example. That's quite exciting and interesting. Um, we've just got a new project linking with marine ecosystems uh, and climate and biodiversity. I think that's such an important arena where we can also contribute with our existing knowledge about sustainability and transdisciplinarity. And I think we can also continue to contribute much more in the arena of social movements and social mobilization. We have early scholars here who are really pushing that front, Eleanor Eastgren and David Harnask and Chad Boda and David O'Burn. And um, it goes on and on, energy, you know, is just starting to, to grow a bit more at Luxus. So, yeah, there's a lot of very interesting um, and hopefully useful and exciting science coming out of Luxus in the future. To build a little bit on the, the sustainability science question, to me, it seems there's an increasing interest in, in different universities and sustainability centers, maybe not sustainability science, you might think of it this perspective but definitely sustainability research generally where do you see that do you see the momentum going on building across europe or, or globally is it mainly in certain countries yeah i mean i think yeah i think there's a variation across countries in terms of sustainability and how people talk about sustainability and what they can talk about and i think that some places around the world have other pressing priorities um, whether it be conflicts war, you know, um, real poverty challenges where sustainability takes on a different form to some of the ways that we talk about sustainability in terms of really integrating the natural and other sciences with social sciences and humanities. So in a way we have a luxury to be talking about these interconnections. Um, but I think it's bearing in mind the balance between the sort of human side and the environment always is important. Uh, I think Sweden has been at the forefront in terms of sustainability, but I think it could go much further, um, both in terms of uh, the kind of sustainability science that it's funding, obviously, um, looking outward across some of our peers in Holland, the UK, Germany are really advancing and investing in this arena. I think it's worthwhile looking around and seeing what they're doing as well. And they're investing in permanent positions for staff, um, big investments, and departments and faculties and things like this. So I think it's worthwhile to consider how they're doing that and whether 
we can learn some lessons here in Sweden from that. Okay, thanks, Emily. Thank you. To explore more episodes of the podcast as well as our blog, please visit our website, www.incommonpodcast.org. You can also subscribe to the podcast on just about any podcast player. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, both at IncommonPod. You can also visit our Patreon page if you would like to support us, and the links to all these websites can be found in the show notes.